are listening to The Lift Mindset, where we provide an update from the experts. Today, we have Dan Thompson and special guest Stuart Nyman. They will be answering frequent questions from our clients and also providing a commentary on current events within the market. This podcast does not constitute advice. Hello, everyone, and welcome to April's investment update from Lift Invest. We're recording this on the morning of the 13th of April. And for the first time this year, I am joined by Stu Nyman, who, as many of you listeners will be aware, joined me for a few episodes last year. So this episode, as we've done in the past, we're answering various client questions which have come in and we'll be picking up on themes which have been been cropping up through the year and touching on performance in March. So before I bring Stu into the discussion, I just wanted to set the scene. So March overall was, depending on what side of the market you were, were in, was positive for generally lower risk assets and negative for generally higher risk assets. And The main reason for that has been because interest rate expectations have been falling due to, as I discussed last month with James Ashley, there was potentially a a financial crisis brewing given the the collapse of of regional banks in the US and the the state-backed takeover of Credit Suisse by UBS in in Europe. That's been the the broader backdrop. There's also, of course, been various inflation prints, both in the US, Europe and and UK. And there's more discussions as to whether we're at peak rates and whether they will be coming down soon. So that's all what's been discussed, some of the narrative. I'll bring you in here, Stu. We haven't spoken for a few months on a podcast. So are there any key themes that you think are, are worth mentioning and any headlines which you think are worth sharing with listeners over the last few months? Yeah, thanks, Dan. Good to be back again on the podcast. Yes, it's um, very interesting times. We finally saw something break. There were many comments talking about the the Fed and the Bank of England raising rates until things break. And we definitely saw things break. And that was surprisingly in the banking system, where since 2008, lots of regulation has meant that banks are generally very, very safe. In some ways, it was the old style run on a bank. I know we've discussed this before, and and hopefully many of you clients listening will have seen the stuff we wrote about. There was a run on Silicon Valley Bank in the US, and subsequently the UK version of Silicon Valley Bank was actually bought by HSBC for the grand total of a pound. That was done over a weekend. So the banking system was saved, and then what happened next week? Credit Suisse needed to be bought by UBS again over a weekend. The banking system is safe. Money is safe in banks. There's discussions even today as we're recording this podcast that they may be looking to increase the safety net for depositors moving up from the £85,000. So I think there's a lot going on on the banking side, which the more you know, the more you worry about it. But the reality is what happened was something broke. Rate interest rates have gone up a lot. Some of the loan book doesn't look so good. Some of the investment decisions made by some of the banks weren't so good. And therefore, there was some stress in the banking system. So that left the central banks and particularly the Fed with a difficult job. Inflation still a problem. We still need rates high, but actually the banking system needed liquidity. And so we've got this strange situation where banks are getting help through new liquidity lines, all different ways of doing it. They can lend their treasuries in a new facility to get uh, funds. And there's more than enough funds in the banks to actually meet any deposits. But rates still need to rise because the central banks need to be seen to curtailing inflation. However, it's a sea change. Rates would rise till things break things have broken. And now the market knows that 
even if you get the odd rate rise, that the next several moving rates are going to be on the downside. And markets have already gone to price that in, even by the end of this year or next year. Do we think there'll be rate cuts this year? Things would have to get much worse, I think, for for the rate cuts. But we're very, very close to the end of the rate rise cycles. And the markets are absolutely right to be looking for rates to be cut, maybe the end of this year, but certainly next year. And that's what the message we've been trying to say in the inflation is a lagging indicator at best 18 months two years of a lag so if you're raising rates based on an inflation number you're overcooking it so the central banks have been raising rates too far and they felt they had to and so therefore we've been saying that we will see a sharper slowdown and that has been good for bonds and so it has been good for bonds this year it will continue to be good for bonds if they keep raising rates or even keeping rates stable for a little bit longer so at the moment one more rate rise probably from the Fed and the Bank of England and then that's probably done for this cycle. Dan, with that bond outlook, how's that affected the equity markets? You're absolutely spot on that markets have already begun to price in these lower rates. There's been a split within the equity market of more cyclical companies that have benefited from higher commodity prices. And then the other side of the market, which is the the tech year growth side of the market, which, as we know, last year suffered heavily because of the the higher interest rate and, and higher expectations of future interest rate environment. And really, the 2023 so far, we've seen that growth side really outperform that more cyclical, more resource-led side of the market. So equities overall did still fall in the month of March, but within it, you know, you were seeing that growth side of the market outperform the the more cyclical side. And really that cyclical side has been falling because this potential friction in the financial sector has led there to be a knock-on impact upon expectations of growth. Actually, Stuart, as we were speaking before we start the recording, you mentioned the IMF, their growth expectations. Maybe we just touch on that before we, we get into the bond picture. Yes, the IMF like to put out their forecasts. Actually, they recently lent some quite a few little bit of money to Ukraine. They're lending a lot of money to countries that have been really suffering in the last year. It's been very, very difficult for a lot of countries that can't fund themselves. And so they've been getting a lot of help from IMF. The IMF have really been saying that the UK is the weakest economy of the G20. Uh, they've said this before. Uh, their forecasting record is, is very poor. So the contrarian in me makes me think that actually that's probably quite positive for the UK. The currency is certainly a lot weaker. Sterling is a lot weaker on its normal purchasing power parity measure. And so that gives us a lot of potential uplift. So yeah, it'd be nice if we get some of these strikes sorted out and, and get productivity up. But I think that uh, back to, you know, you're saying saying a bit more on, on the bond market outlook, and we're getting a lot of questions on what do we think swap rates are going to do? What do we think interest rates are going to do? People know that we think that bond yields will be falling. We've said that through the end of last year, this year, that has been the case. The more that the central banks keep rate, even keeping rates the same and raising them into these sort of markets, that is very positive for bond yields to come down. It's not good for some smaller businesses. And we're getting back personal bankruptcies, we're getting SME bankruptcies going on 
a lot. So it's not it's not great. But if you move up rates from naught to four percent in a straight line very, very quickly when they've been naught percent for 10 years, then you're going to cause a lot of pain. So there's a lot more pain and, and certainly a lot more headlines to come. And at some point that the central banks will finish. So so, yeah, I'm heartened by the IMF saying that that's positive. I am also very heartened by the fact that swap yields have come down and lenders are now lending on mortgage rates now at very, very tasty rates. And it looks like those will get even better. The economy needs to function. It needs rates to be a sensible level where people can borrow and invest and refinance. And we're getting towards those more sensible levels. So I, I still think the outlook is positive and yeah, expect that to continue. But uh, the unknowns, there are still a lot of unknowns. I mean, inflation looks like it's coming back, but I think it's a bit too soon to say the inflation dragon has been slayed. The IMF also was talking about the fact that UK rates could come back down very low and that inflation will normalise. And that isn't necessarily going to be the case. We may get some level of stickier inflation, in which case bond yields won't go quite to the low. I don't, I don't think many people expect them to go quite to the low. I think the outlook for swap rates is good. We're near the top of the rate cycle, which is also very good. And it is very, very good for bond portfolios that we hold in the funds, which is good for the, for the credit markets. We, we've lightened up on the more risky end of the credit curve. We, we don't tend to play in that area. We like more solid companies. We call it investment grade companies. They're the ones that we like our managers to invest in. And so the outlook is actually very good for those. Thanks, Stu. Yeah, I mean, tying a few of these questions and a few of the, the thoughts that you've just shared together, a question that we have received has been, what are the biggest challenges posed to markets in 2023? They offer a response of, is it inflation? I would argue it's not inflation, in my own opinion. Stu, you may well have your own thoughts, but I think that the main challenge is going to be how economies deal with the very quick pace of interest rate hikes that were seen last year. You know, we know that that's had a knock-on impact upon the price of various different assets that both financial institutions and clients hold. Some of these banks are failing because of those investments decisions that you, you mentioned earlier. So there is already this friction. And now we're seeing that maybe central banks will have one, one eye on that. And that means that they, they're unlikely to increase rates significantly because they already know that frictions exist at this level. And actually, if you can take the heat off some of that pressure on prices of, of assets, i.e. stop raising interest rates or raise them to a, a much softer degree than, than was already expected, then that will provide kind of some benefit to asset prices and and hopefully mean that further frictions are averted. That's currently one of the big challenges. And we were saying that earlier in the year, this isn't just because of what happened in March. We were always thinking, not just as markets were always looking at growth around this year because growth had been impacted by by higher interest rates. You know, swap rates is another question that we've had. You know, you've just mentioned, Stu, they're likely to come down. I mean, we have already seen them come down a fair bit. That certainly does play into inflation. In the US, inflation is down to 5% now. In the UK, it's still up in the realms of 10%. We know why there's a very different basis for, for what's feeding inflation in the US and, and what's feeding inflation in the UK. In the UK, swap rates when you look look forward by about two years, inflation is likely to be 0% because of just how kind of poor growth is expected to be. And already we've seen swap rates come down, but I think that you know realistically they are still going to come down when we're talking about the UK market. The US market is a bit different. I think that actually over in the US, and, and this does have a knock-on impact upon prices in, in the active market as well, because 
we know that they generally focus on the US side of the market. When you look at Governor Powell's comments around he and the, the Federal Reserve are likely to manage their interest rates, they still believe that far too soon to be discussing significant rate cuts and they are later their next meeting likely to raise rates once more. In the US, market expectations seem to me to be a little bit too optimistic and we could well see rates and bond yields there go up a little bit from from the levels they are at the moment because a lot of that has been pricing in a a financial crisis which hasn't really come. It seemed like a bit of a a storm in a teacup and central banks are kind of coming out and and they're saying that they they may well review different policies. But right now there is a a bit of a premium that's hit the US market because of, of these risks. And actually, if those risks don't come about, then then that may be negative for, for rates and negative for assets, because then rates may not be cut and asset prices don't benefit from the cuts that would otherwise have come. So that's a few of the questions. Another one, you know, when we look at bond markets, what's our long-term view? Our long-term view is very much that they present a, a much more compelling opportunity than they did 18 months ago and two years ago. That isn't to say that they will will shoot up from here and they will recover a lot of the significant falls that they, they suffered last year. But it is to say that if you are a long-term investor, then the the average return that you get from all bonds, not just the, the higher credit quality or even the, the government bonds, which we, we did start adding to portfolios last year, they are more compelling. But wherever you look in the bond space now, there are very compelling returns there. And as I mentioned in, in March, there will be different environments where bonds actually outperform equities and, and vice versa. We still believe, of course, in the long term, that equities will be the best performing broad asset group. But that's not to say that, that bonds don't serve a place in, in portfolios, even more adventurous ones, because of the, the diversification benefits that, that they have in, in portfolios. That's many of the bond questions covered, Stu. Handing back to you, what's your view on bond markets and kind of market pricing? What, what's your medium long term outlook? Now, if you're at the Fed, and I think it was very interesting, they were caught classically between rock and a hard place after the banking collapses in the US and then Credit Suisse as well. They were fully aware that the bond markets were saying that, OK, we're, are we going to get rate rises coming through and that we may well see rate cuts coming down this year, uh, but certainly next year. Why was that? And I think that the Fed were having their meetings and they're thinking, what do we do? And I think that there's a bit more inflation now than there had been for quite a few years. And we see it in strikes for wage rises. We see ourselves with food prices, certainly oil prices. And, And the way you get those prices down is by having rates a bit high and causing pain in the economy. And so I think that the reaction function now of the central banks has given you a bit of a clue as to what to expect over the next several years. And that is they're going to err on the side of fighting inflation, even if it causes pain. Now, what we do know with the banking problems is the banking problems are caused because of credit problems somewhere. And so there will be more of those to come. As those come out more and more and more, that eventually will make it impossible for the Fed to raise rates, even if inflation is high. So then the next stage is to keep rates stable. And then last thing they'll do when they absolutely have to and economies are are diving, then they'll start to cut rates. So I think we can expect over the next several years for the central bank to err on the side of slightly higher rates, looking to provide liquidity 
to keep things going, whether it be banks, whether it be big companies, whatever. I think that type of thing, they'll, they'll, they'll keep it going. So so therefore, that is good for bond markets, both five years and, and out to, to 30 years, uh, that part of the curve. If the reaction function of the, of the Fed had been to cut rates sharply because of what's gone on in the banking system, I think people would have started to quite worry and just that, oh, they're back to their old games of just keeping rates too low and they don't care about inflation, in which case bond yields would have would have risen a lot. So I think that this erring on the side of keeping rates a little bit higher and even raising them, yeah, I think that is their, their modus operandi. And I think that is going to be generally positive for bonds until inflation actually does come lower. But I think that it's very, very difficult for the central banks in in this scenario but you know there are the unknowns we haven't talked about there's obviously a lot of saber rattling going on with the us versus china the more we break up supply lines that's inflationary that's certainly a risk to watch out for there are plenty of, of other risks that probably aren't even in the line of sight at the moment but i do agree with you dan that inflation was a 2022 issue and generally you you have a new issue and maybe the new issue 2023 actually we haven't even seen yet and there's plenty that can happen. But I think in terms of what we have seen, what I would say something that I've been saying now for quite a long time. I think we will look back on last year and earlier this year and say, why on earth did the central banks raise rates so high and keep them there for so long? Because they've made policy errors and they've caused a lot of problems. So I think there are going to be other problems to come and the economies will slow down. But net benefit of that is that the bond markets are going to continue to look quite good. I know that the other questions we've, we're having, I think it's, it's important to talk about the UK relative. We've got an overweight in the UK. Talk about that overweight in the UK, Dan, because I think that's interesting. Yeah, sure. So most of the, the rest of these questions are equity focusing how we're positioning portfolios. So again, I'll paint the picture before digging into some of these questions. So we do and have for some some years now held a an overweight to UK equity assets within portfolios. Why do we do that? Well, firstly, currency is less of an issue when we invest directly in, in UK businesses. Many of those businesses are international, so they can still benefit from, from global markets. But it's just by virtue of them being listed in the UK, they often trade on more depressed valuations. Now, it isn't as simple as to say, you know, lower valuation, I will buy that. There are many different factors which obviously go into to equity markets and, and why you would buy certain equity, certain sectors within the equity markets, or even certain regions within the equity markets. And the UK has historically always traded on a, a lower valuation than, than the US and other markets. And one reason for that is the makeup of our stock market in that the UK has, has a large proportion in financial and energy type businesses, whereas the US market has much of, of its, you know, and, and this has grown over time, much of its stock market invested in tech and, and consumer services type names. So what does that mean? That means that naturally the, the multiple that the US market trades on will be higher than the UK. But even when you look versus their own histories, the UK continues to look very compelling. And we know that Brexit has been one of the one of the overhangs as to why international investors haven't looked particularly favourably on the UK. But as we speak, Biden's just left Northern Ireland. He's been over. It's got the attention of some Americans. And I think that actually there is such kind of reticence to to invest in the UK that if that were to were to switch, then we could quite easily see quite a pickup in the valuation and, and quite a pickup in global investors looking back at the UK and, and there being more money flowing towards the UK and, and, and the asset returns improving. That's the broad picture for the UK. We are overweight. We can 
continue to be overweight, but we have been reducing that over the last few months. Why have we been doing that? Well, a lot of it has been, you know, as we've, we've talked at length around from interest rates and because of the makeup in the US market, amongst others, they've fallen back more heavily in local currency terms, at least. Than, than the UK market has. And we've taken that opportunity and we've thought, you know, actually you know, it isn't as simple as saying one market's more expensive than the other. We just believe there has been kind of a slight evening of, of those opportunities. And whilst we maintain an overweight UK assets, it's not as significant as it previously was. And we may well make some some moves in either direction moving forward. Of course, we keep abreast of all changes that are going on in the markets and, and where opportunities are, are being presented to us. So moving on to you know, the questions directly, Directly. There's a question around startups in the UK. There was a there was a headline earlier in the year. Arm Holdings, which previously was was UK listed, then was was bought out and then has been spun back out. And they've chosen to to list in the US rather than the UK. And it's seen as one of the current tech darlings in the UK region. I will say I can't obviously say UK market. That was seen by some to really be nail in the coffin of if you want to be a growth investor, then you can't do it in the UK because there, there simply aren't enough opportunities. I don't think that's reflective of, of the UK market. Yes, the US is more conducive to, to valuations on the tech side. It, it has clearly a much broader stock market and, and already has a lot of those tech companies which may therefore make listing there more attractive. But that doesn't mean wholesale that the UK market is is uninvestable or not attractive at all. It, it's just that there is a different makeup to the UK market which we are aware of. And in certain episodes, if for example we think that inflation were to be stickier, commodity prices were to remain higher, as we've seen with OPEC surprisingly announcing a cut just at the start of the month, which boosted energy prices and and the price of energy stocks. That impact has a much better, much more significant impact on the UK market relative to others. For that reason, if you you want to play that view, then the UK market might be a good one to to look at. So of course, we we have all these exposures within portfolios, but certainly for a tech investor, if you're interested in kind of long-term growthier names, then Yes, it generally speaking, then the US market does favour those type businesses. But as we well know, those businesses don't do well in, in every kind of environment. So, Stu, you mentioned the geopolitics of it you know, over the weekend and late last week, we've seen Chinese military drills around Taiwan. And that's really been, been something that's been brewing over the last few months with the is it a spy balloon, is it a weather balloon question as well. And the, the new basis announced that the US have access to in the Philippines. And all of that's well, has come to a fore this year, but has been brewing over the last few years. So geopolitics, you, know, you mentioned re-globalisation. They're two themes that, of course, we, we are wary of and that, that may negatively impact markets through the year. I know that you're, you're a big fan of known unknowns. Are there any, albeit yes, they are unknown, but are there any known factors that you, you think that, that are worth sharing with listeners and drawing to people's attention today? Well, I think that there's this, and some people call it the, the multipolar world of the dollar block. Europe and the UK are involved as sort of dollar allies and then the non-dollar. So there's a bit of a battle going on. You know, we've seen pictures of Chinese, the BRICS countries, Putin sort of linking arms and dealing with each other. Big news that Saudi Arabia has sort of moved from the dollar block ally into the China, India, Russia side of things. And so there are there's that sort of battle going on. 
it's sort of in in the background and it's sort of a financial battle is it's partly a battle for a dominant currency and the us by sanctioning financially and and confiscating assets has shown that it's i know some people don't like it but weaponizing the financial system or the dollar it's become a bit more open i think and albeit i think that sanctions that financial battle, uh, the battle for currency dominance is a very big factor and we'll see lots of twists and turns this year and next year. But that does seem to be very much uh, at the forefront these days. And you're seeing, even this week, we're seeing some Europeans, particularly uh, Macron, was talking about he doesn't want to cut off potential trade with China and India by taking one side on this. There wants to be friends and allies with everyone for good reason. And I mean, it is all that's all geopolitical, but it has moved into the financial world. That makes it difficult. You know, if if that goes the wrong way, that's inflationary because it cuts off supply lines. But I think there are lots of countries saying we don't need to shoot ourselves in the foot and create inflation in those situations. And if we disagree on certain things, it doesn't mean we can't still trade with each other. I noticed that Tesla's just opened a battery plant in Shanghai. So, so many countries do business with, with China. You can't suddenly turn that off, even if there's quite a big move now to try and get the computer chips all made at home. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on on that respect. But I think that China's also got its own problem. China's got quite a big slowdown, got quite a big bank lending issue going on. You know, very much, it's very much like the the Western sort of economies. So I think in those sort of scenarios, everyone's got to rebuild. But I I think it's been really interesting from me who looked at bank balance sheets quite a lot over the years and, and helped run some of them. I think a point that is interesting is what is going on in the bank balance sheets and what's going on with regulators and what will people look at. And I think that I don't want to get too technical, but but there's something called the liquidity coverage ratio, LCR, which is how how many assets you have that are easy to sell that cover the deposits. And SVB, the Silicon Valley Bank, had something like less than 70%. Normal banks, all the systemic banks that we all know and love, have like 125. They're well over collateralized. It's, they have to be. They've got regulators breathing down the necks all the time. So how on earth? I mean, I know these smaller banks aren't as heavily regulated and as some of the bigger banks, but they still are regulated. And if there's one question you ask each bank and probably should get it very often, how many liquid assets do you have to cover potential deposit flights? And a lot of questions are being asked and should be asked as how some of these banks were out of line with what is needed and other questions will be asked about Credit Suisse what on earth was going on in Credit Suisse that we need to find out so I think we will find some things out there and so I think there's more there's more news to get on that side but I also think I don't know maybe it's just the way I like you said Dan is the known unknowns or unknowns there'll be something else that's going to happen this year that's new I mean Credit Suisse who would have thought that that Credit Suisse institution that's been so profitable over the years, one of the big globally systemic banks would be essentially forced to be taken over and we've not even had four months of the year. I, th- I think we're in this kind of decade where things will happen each year that are 
we go, wow, that's that's quite amazing. So I think there's still more still more to come. What most people want is just, just some of the bigger nations to start getting on and stop all this fighting and, and making things difficult because it is it's hurting small SMEs. It's hurting small businesses. It's hurting people who have higher mortgage rates. We don't need essential food costs going up. We don't need that. And then when that happens, we get people striking because they, they need to meet the cost of living demand. So we don't need any of this going on. So we need people to start sort of getting on a bit better together. So I think that's something that we're starting to see. We'll get inflation down that way. If we get inflation down, we get productivity up. Maybe the other thing, Dan, throw out there, chat GPT we've not mentioned. It's sort of mentioned in almost every conversation. These are, Is AI going to massively help productivity is that something that's going to come that's that's going to change things? Is that going to massively reduce healthcare costs and improve supply lines? Who knows? There could be be something technological in that sort of respect that is is helpful. So I stay optimistic on all those all those outlooks that, that good things will happen. So anyway, they're my sort of thoughts on what might be happening this year and what some unknowns might be. Have you got any, any interesting thoughts on that regard, Dan? Firstly, it's very very, very good to hear that you're so optimistic on things. That's a, a rarity, Stu. I was just going to touch on, on something that you mentioned there regarding the regulation. Would more banking regulation be positive or negative for markets? Would it shore up things and potentially remove a risk? Or would it constrict lending and, and constrict growth and therefore be, be negative for equity markets? After I left BlackRock, I went and, and worked for a year as uh, Chief Investment Officer of Nationwide Building Society and, and was asked to sort of look at the balance sheet and see what could be done there. And, and I was, I, I'd not been in that sector for many years. And there were calls with the regulator almost daily. In the year I was there for the contract, there were, there were three big stress tests done, uh, looking at all different scenarios of how the balance sheet would behave. So what I took away from that is that the big banks are being looked at very, very closely. But the ones that are outside that regulation weren't being looked at closely enough. But also it was a lot of data going through. And in, in my old, the old days, you would just have a few of the indicators to tell you the health of the balance sheet. And so I think that the FDIC, which is the regulator in the US, but they're very closely aligned to to the Fed. They're, they're doing an investigation I think we'll come out of this and questions will be asked of the regulator as to why I think they couldn't see the wood for the trees. So I don't think we'll necessarily get more regulation. I think that we will get different regulation. I think that the data they've been getting is just sending so many reports that there's too much information. And I think they need to simplify it. Excellent. Thank you very much for sharing all of your thoughts today, Stu. I'll have you back in a few months to see what we've, what we may have missed, what known unknowns come out of the woodwork by then. Yeah, thanks, Dan. It's it's been good to be on, but I'm saying staying positive on the bond market certainly for sort of six months. And yeah, I'm looking forward to the time where we can start talking about rate cuts. Maybe next podcast. Thank you for listening. We hope you have learned something new today from our experts. If you would like to find out more, please visit our website www.lift-invest.com or search for lift-invest on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. Don't forget to like and subscribe to hear more from the Lift Mindset.